All right, so I usually do a little intro. So okay. with us today, Ellie Bates, and I always talk about how I know the people who are yeah. here. We pick people who we like, who we think are good people more than anything. That's kind of the common theme that you see through all of our people. These are people who we enjoy spending time with, known Allie for a very long time. Yeah. Uh, we've worked together on cases. We've had mutual clients, a lot of friends, uh, and... I think one of the first really great memories I have is being at your house for a Jersey Shore party. Jersey <laughs> uh, Shore? Uh, yes. Are you uh, old uh, enough uh, to know what that yes. is for you? A, a long time ago, and it involved a lot of bronzer and hair it gel. sure did, oh, yeah. Uh, so Allie is one of... Did you GTL uh, back then? Uh, yeah. Were that, you a gym tan laundry yeah. person? Yeah, that day I was. There was some a lot of fist pumping going on. Yeah. Oh, good. Oh, yeah. Uh, so Allie's a wonderful... I say divorce lawyer, matrimonial, family law attorney, uh, leading attorney in the community, and also one of the really fun people in the legal community. So we're really happy to have her here, and I'm sure she can um, talk all about her experience. But just tell us a little about about your background to start. Yeah, well, thanks for having me, and the feeling is mutual, so I'm glad to be here. Um, I graduated law school in 2007 and went pretty much right into private practice. I knew you know, I didn't really want to go to a big firm, and I had worked for somebody else for a short amount of time and really wanted that flexibility that private practice affords, especially knowing I wanted to have a family someday and wanted to kind of be able to control what I did, you know, what clients I took and what kind of work I did. So I almost immediately went into private practice, and um, other than a one-year stint as a law clerk, that's what I've done the whole time. Um, and I, at this point, uh, and for many years now, I only work in family and matrimonial law. Um, like anything I do in life, I really enjoy feeling like I'm the best at it or feeling oh. like I'm one of the best at it. And that goes back to, you know, childhood, like playing a game on the playground. I wanted to win and I wanted to be the best. And um, when I first went into private practice, I tried to do a little bit of everything. You know, I was doing some misdemeanor work in town courts and some real estate. And I felt like I was spreading myself thin and I wasn't doing an awesome job at anything. And that's when I really, probably a year in, just decided to focus on the thing that I felt like suited me the best, and that was matrimonial and family law. And, and that's all I do now. So there's so many things that come with matrimonial. Mm -hmm. I can tell you, I've, I've tried it. Uh, <laughs> I think I did too. The first one was great, and the second one was never again. And I, I don't, uh, I'm happy with that decision. So Yeah, it's an acquired taste for sure. What uh, What is it that you like about the matrimonial practice? Um, I think... I like the, the it, it's second chances for people, right? And I've had some of those situations in my life where I was given a second chance on something, whether that was a relationship or a job. And I'm seeing people who are getting their second chance at things. And I'm seeing people, when they come in my door, they are at their absolute lowest and somewhere they never thought they would be. And through that process, I'm able to see them into the next stage of their life. And I've become friends with a lot of my clients. I've had clients that have dated each other and got married. I've been at weddings, second weddings for some of my clients. Um, and just getting to see that kind of rebirth in their life and being there for them during that time, I, I love that. So the process, how do you see your job? You, see, you talk about this person who comes to you at a really stressful time, and, yeah. and we have that bad days. We yeah. talk about whether somebody's hurt or gets arrested. That's what we're doing. Right. Uh, what's like the process, somebody who consults with you, what's that look like generally? Right. So for whatever reason, I, I almost always am representing the plaintiff or the initiator of the divorce. They might not end up being the actual plaintiff, but they're kind of taking the first step. And I don't know why that is, but that's just happens to be how it is. 
And so um, they're coming to me and they sometimes have not shared with their spouse that they're thinking about separating or divorcing and sometimes they have. And really the first meeting is giving them some of the general principles of matrimonial law, what to expect, not only from a substantive perspective, you know, how are things gonna be split up? What is my time with my kids gonna look like? But also from a procedural perspective, they always wanna know how long is this gonna take? Um, what's the process gonna be like? And explaining to them the different paths which when I first started practicing, there was really one path and it was court. Um, with the court system adopting the alternative resolution program, resolution program and there being a big tush, push towards mediation and ADR, that's changed. Um, when I first started practicing, it was RJI right into court and now there's a lot of mediation going along on, a lot of uncontested divorce. And so there are different and paths. Uncontested means? Uncontested not. means we're not involving a judge for anything other than to sign the judgment of divorce at the end. They've agreed on how they're going to divide things. They've agreed on how they're going to share time with the kids. And they just need the attorney to guide them through getting that paperwork drafted and filed with the court. Um, what, do you, what are some tips being a yeah. divorce attorney that you would give someone when they're either looking for an attorney mm -hmm. um, to possibly, at least even just to have a consultation to see what their rights are? Yeah, I guess my best tip that I would give is there's a lot of attorneys in town and meet with as many people as you need to to find someone that you really click with. It is not a fast process. Even the most um, amicable couples who are uncontested, it's probably a three-month process to be realistic. And I would say the average contested divorce can be around a year. So you're going to be having uh, communication with me, meetings with me, um, sometimes on a daily basis, if not a weekly basis, and you have to be really comfortable with that person. You're gonna be sharing intimate details about your marriage, um, about your family, and making sure that that's a good fit. I would, I would say don't feel like you have to rush into the process. Um, you know, shop around. Um, are there, I'm trying to think of what else I <laughs> So some oh. of the common, I can, I have a okay. lot of questions. Yeah. Uh, some of the common questions that people ask you, what, what are you know, the questions, yeah. kind of the next level down that you hear over and over again that maybe some of the people um, yep. that are listening would be curious about? Yeah, and I get the same questions so often that I put a blog on my website where I answer those questions and I try to tell people to go there and read about it because you're not the first person to ask this question. Yeah, what's your website too when we're talking uh, about? BatesFamilyLaw.com. And I think one of the, one, a very common question I get is, is, is it abandonment if I leave the house? Can I leave the house? Um, and, and what I tell people is um, yes, and actually the law, people think if they, if they move out during the divorce process, they're, they're gonna waive their rights to their house or their time with their kids. And the law, the law protects people. The, the people that make the laws, they don't want people living in the same house who are fighting in front of the kids where there's domestic violence occurring. So there are, ways to leave the house and you should leave the house if you're in a situation where the cops are being called or there's domestic violence occurring or the kids are being exposed to constant turmoil. Um, so abandonment is a, is a kind of an old grounds for filing for divorce before no-fault divorce was passed in New York. Now most cases are filed on no-fault grounds. Abandonment is a totally separate legal definition and a grounds to get divorced that just moving out and getting an apartment in town is, is not going to 
Like if someone qualify. ran away, like left like it, and like if, you didn't know where you were. Yeah, so it's really, it's someone, someone, someone leaves the marriage, they take off, you have no way to find them, they're gone for an extended period of time and having absolutely no contact with you. That's not going to happen in your typical divorce situation where someone's moving out, they're getting an apartment around the corner, they're seeing the kids a few nights a week, um, you're still communicating, you're paying, making sure bills are paid. There's going to be, with, with normal co-parents or, or divorcing spouses, there's going to be a regular contact. It's not going to be an abandonment situation. So, you know, I never, I, I never want someone to stay in the house who feels unsafe. What are some grounds for divorce? So there's seven in New York State, um, and it used to be that you needed a ground such as abandonment, cruel and inhuman treatment, adultery, in order to get divorced in New York State, or you had to get a legal separation and stay legally separated for an entire year. New York did not want people getting divorced because um, that causes all sorts of other issues. Um, finally, New York State passed no-fault divorce. Um, we were the last of all 50 states to pass it. And finally, they said, you know, the seventh ground for divorce is now what we divorce attorneys call no-fault divorce. Um, but basically what the statute says is for a period of six months or more, we've had irreconcilable differences. And it's not a ground that the other side can contest. So if, if you allege... Um, Domestic Relations Law 177, irreconcilable differences. The other side can't really fight it, and it's what we call a no-fault divorce. So think of it like a car accident. You guys deal with a lot of car accident cases. Yeah. Someone's always at fault, right? But the insurance companies have said, you know, for whatever reason, in certain situations, it's not worth figuring out who did it, who's at fault. So right, it's kind the, of like that in the medical divorce. Coverage for the, yeah, for we, the we have exactly. To, we have to get the medical bills paid, right. and that's included as part of the right. policy. From a liability perspective, obviously there's certain parts of accidents where liability and who's at fault matters. And there are certain parts of divorce cases where liability matters. For example, if you were a bad father or bad husband or a bad mother, that could impact your custodial rights. But for purposes of the grounds for getting divorced, the bad behavior doesn't necessarily matter anymore. Okay. So tell us about your, I know some of this stuff already, but other people yeah. don't. You grew up local. Uh, yep. We're here in Rochester, and yep. you're kind of born and raised. And how did you end up at law school? And Yeah. So I grew up in Penfield, outside of Rochester, the east side of Rochester. Graduated high school there. Went to college in Albany and knew from a pretty young age, or I should say was told from a pretty young age, you'll be a lawyer. Um, and it kind of always followed that path. Um, was in a you know, pre-law program and went to law school at Albany. Uh, and then came back here. My family was from here, and this is where I had the connections and wanted to be around family and came, came back here. A lot of people take time off between college and law school. It's not uncommon. I think the average age starting law school is later 20s. Um, I went right through, um, so came right back here afterwards. I did the same thing. I don't know how yeah. people go back to law school. I don't. I, I felt like if I didn't go right away, it might never happen, so right. <laughs> just get it done. What advice can you give? Uh, some law students. Any yeah, advice? I would say um, if you're not really sure about what area of law you want to do, um, you know, get some internships. There's almost, I, I can't think of an attorney that would turn down an intern, um, especially if you're willing to do it uh, for credit or for free or for experience. Um, and try a couple different areas of law. You might be surprised at what you like. Did you know what you wanted to do? I did. I, there was actually a case in the 90s where a kid, it was all over the news, you might remember it, a kid got emancipated from his parents. And um, I remember seeing that and, and understanding that this kid, they had given him his own lawyer. And I thought, that's so cool that the kid has a lawyer. There's probably other kids who are in terrible situations 
that need legal representation. And so I immediately got, um, when I first started practicing, I was really, the majority of my work, and I know you know this, Bob, was as an attorney for, ch for children. So there's a separate certification that you get after you get your law degree that allows you to represent children in family court, in divorces, in abuse cases, and that's really what I did for the first few years. And I still do a little bit of that, but um, for a while, that's all I was doing. While you've done divorces, have you ever seen any similarities or issues that people have come to you and you've noted or have seen like, oh yeah, this is what leads to divorce? This might be a little controversial, but I would say that the vast majority of divorces I see, one parent is not working. Um, and I don't know if that's coincidence. I don't know if that causes friction between the spouses because one parent feels resentful that they're going and working all day and making all the money, or one parent feels resentful that they're home taking care of the kids all day and they don't get to go to work and have work friends and go to work Adult happy hours. <laughs> yeah, and so I, there, I see a lot of tension when one parent stays home and one parent doesn't. And I would say, I would, I would love to look at the percentages sometime and I probably will now that I'm saying this, but I would say the vast majority of cases, one person is not employed. Interesting. Yeah. yeah. So if you want to lessen your chances of divorce, Everyone maybe that's a tip. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I think, you know, going to work, you have your own friends and your own right. stuff to talk about. And it, you know, it, it can be good in a lot of ways. So, yeah, it's interesting. Um, do you notice that there's a specific um, year or ranges of years that people tend to get divorced more than others? I don't. I you know you know we've all here heard like the seven year itch or whatnot. I, I don't see that. I can tell you that it's statistically proven. Um, there's something if you Google it called gray divorce that over the last eight to 10 years, there's a huge uptick in people over 55 getting divorced. And they've studied that. And what they found is that, you know, with the, with the, average life expectancy increasing, people that, you know, maybe 50 years ago at age 55, they were like, eh, I probably don't have that much time left, I'll just stick it out. Yeah. But now people are living longer. So 55 is really, really midlife. Or like, I can't take another Yeah, and years. they're like, I've still got <laughs> decades left where I can travel the world, I can start a new career, and, and do I really wanna spend the next 30 or 40 years with this person? Right. So there, I would say there's not an average age or duration of marriage, but I would say that it's a huge amount of people getting divorced that are over 55. And at that point, I feel like, you know, it, when people typically get married, it's usually when they're younger, 20s, 30s, and yep. you grow and sometimes you don't grow with that person and right. you become a different person and it just doesn't work out. Yeah, so I, I think a lot of people aren't the same person at 55 that right. they were at 25. Right. right, which is probably a good thing. Yeah, so. yeah. <laughs> um, prenups, yes. do they work and should you get one? They work if they're done right. Uh, what which, does that mean? Which means they're not done very close to the wedding date. Okay. So I won't even consider talking, talking to a client if they're getting married Really, I don't like to see it within six months, but 90 days kind of my hard stop. Mm -hmm. um, the other element to a good prenup is financial disclosure. So making sure that both people know everything they're giving up. Um, and, and the third element would be both people being represented by counsel. Okay. And sometimes that means the spouse who's um, the lesser moneyed spouse, they can't afford an attorney. And sometimes that means that the, the spouse who has the assets needs to pay for and provide an attorney, a separate independent attorney for that party. We see prenups getting overturned or, or not upheld when only one party had an attorney, when there wasn't full disclosure of the assets. 
Um, so the, the, and, and when it was too close to the wedding date, because that, that can be seen as having been signed under duress. You know, right. you've got, you've paid like, for this oh, wedding. There's yeah. 200 people coming next week. You can't possibly cancel it now. Right. So. Like as you're walking down the aisle. Yes. Just, just yes. sign this. Yes. And, <laughs> and then sometimes the moneyed spouse, uh, there's a prenup and it's not good. And then mm-hmm. they negotiate and give up more than they would have to, because they don't want to risk the prenup being challenged in court. Exactly, Bob. We see that all the time. So we say, look, this prenup has some sketchy stuff going on, but there's risk to both of us to going to trial. The risk to me is that the judge maybe finds the prenup valid, and the risk to you is that they find it invalid. So let's both cut our losses a little bit and meet somewhere in the middle, and that happens a lot. What happens if someone um, either goes back to school, let's say someone Mm -hmm. becomes a doctor, they're in med school, Mm -hmm or they start a business mm-hmm. and then it takes off and the spouse was with them during that time mm-hmm. and then they get divorced. Are they entitled to any of the business or your income because they helped support you during med school, let's say, yeah. or something? So a business for sure, a business that started during the marriage is a marital asset. Uh, and a business that started before the marriage but grows during the marriage is partially a marital asset, the growth portion of it, right? Um, so not only is the non-business owning spouse going to be entitled to a portion of the value of that business, but they also may be entitled to support, spousal support, based on the income that that business owner um, realizes from their business. Uh, and within divorce law, I, I tend to focus on business owners. So I'm glad you asked that question. Yeah. I tend to focus on representing people who own a business or their spouse owns a business because it is treated differently than most other assets in a divorce. Most other assets kind of chop down the middle. A business is not. Okay. It's it's divided up differently. So it, there and there's a lot of tax implications and financial planning and estate planning that goes in that. So it is something that I, I think requires a bit of a subspecialty. As for a degree, um, no, you're not going to get the value of that degree. You're going to get spousal support. So if you, you put your husband through med school, your spousal support is going to be based on his income. And to get also the value of his degree would be what they call double dipping. Okay. So you used to be able to get the value of the degree, but with spousal support, you can't anymore. It's, it's, it would be double dipping. So you get kind of one or the other. So talking about spousal support, mm-hmm. when... Is there depending? Is it true that depending on the amount of years you're married, mm-hmm. it depends then the length of time of which you have to pay spousal support is right? Yeah, is that how the, that's the longer you're married, the longer your average duration okay. of spousal support is going to be. All right, yep. and then is there ways to get out of it, or yeah. are there things that yeah. can hinder your spousal? Support? So one thing, um, uh, there was a judge that is now now passed away, Judge Bellini. I really liked and respected about her was. Uh, she was kind of known for, for being anti-maintenance or, or being less likely to give maintenance out. And I liked that about her because there's this sort of assumption that if your spouse makes more than you and you're getting divorced, you're entitled to maintenance, right? Or what they used to call alimony. And really what the law says is, are you in a worse financial position than you were in when you got married such that you need this money basically to avoid uh, or to be self-supporting? And And so people jump as soon as they see you know, husband makes a lot more than wife. Okay, wife's automatically entitled to alimony. But if wife is in a similar financial position that she was in when they got married, so wife was a teacher, wife's still a teacher, um, you know, and she's able to support herself, then it's really per the statute, it shouldn't be an automatic spousal support case. 
And what I liked about Justice Bellini was she would really look at all those factors that were listed out in the domestic relations law and just not make that assumption that because one person makes more, they should be paying alimony. If someone is working, mm -hmm. or let's say someone, one of the parties is not working and then gets a job, does that impact their spousal support? Yeah, so spousal support, unlike child support, is very difficult to change after the divorce is finalized. Um, you, it, I, I tell people, plan on it staying how it is. It's almost impossible to change. The only way that the person paying spousal support is going to get out of it or get it reduced is if they can prove an extreme hardship. So they're working, they're making a ton of money, the divorce gets finalized, and a month later they get hit by a bus and they're on disability. It would be an extreme hardship for them to continue to make those payments, okay. right? Um, in terms of getting a job, that's really something a good attorney would have handled during the divorce. So if I'm representing, let's say, the husband and the wife is not working, in the divorce I'm not going to allow, or I'm going to argue not to allow, her income to be zero for purposes of calculating child support. I'm going to look at her work experience, I'm going to look at her education, I'm going to ask the judge to impute income to her, to say, yes, she's not working now, but she's had experience as doing this, this, or this. She has a master's degree. So when you do the calculations, judge, I want you to, to do them as if the wife is making $60,000 a year, $80,000 a year. And the court will, will, will make that finding when appropriate. Okay. That way it doesn't really matter if wife goes and gets a job after because we've already got the calculation established as if she was working. Does that make sense? Yeah. 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 Right, but then if, so let's say, so, because if I remember correctly, yeah. if you can't find a job or you have to be actively looking, right, Yeah, as well. It's a really high burden, Brie. It's, you have yeah. to make really diligent efforts. The judges want to see that you've, you've got 100 applications. Here they are, judge. These are all the interviews I went on. Um, it's, it's really, a, it's, unless you're disabled, it's very difficult to say, I cannot get a job. Uh, yeah, especially in this economy. And they will say, you know, for now, go get a job at Wegmans or, you know, Something. pick up substitute teaching at the school. So it's very difficult to just say, without a, basically without a disability determination, it's, it's impossible to say I'm not capable of working whatsoever. Um, just have, so has there been an impactful case that you've carried with you through your time as an attorney? Gosh, it's hard to single one out. Um, they're all impactful in different ways, and right. I, I really learn something new on every single case. Uh, and I'm not just saying that. There's, there's something new I pick up, whether it's a way to talk to a client, a way to present an issue to a judge. Um, so it's I'm really sure a collection of things. stories yeah. where mm -hmm. you feel like you've really helped and made mm -hmm. a difference in many people's lives. Yeah, especially when I was doing that work as an attorney for children. I was doing a lot of that work within family court for abuse and neglect cases. So seeing kids through foster care either get reunited with their parents when their parents has got the parents got the services they needed, or seeing them in foster care getting adopted and ending up in a better better situation. Um, I'm so I have a question. Yeah. The, the super. How many cases are you generally carrying at a time? Um, I'm generally carrying anywhere between I would say fifty to eighty cases. Oh, and that's pretty similar to our yeah. caseload. Yeah. They're all in different stages of right. litigation. So I, I'm pretty mindful usually of what's going on and what's coming up trial wise. But these these are stressful situations for most of these people, mm -hmm. if not all. Yeah. Uh, how do you go about not manifesting that onto yourself? I, I think I won't say too much great things about myself, but I'll say I think I have the perfect personality for being a divorce attorney. I've, I'm, I can be a little bit cold, and I think that you kind of have to be or you end up in this therapist situation. 
clients often tell me in the beginning, like they, they don't, they, they, I have to draw hard lines with them and say, I, I can't be that counselor for you. I can help refer you to a therapist. Um, I can recommend you go out with your girlfriends this weekend and, and kind of unleash on them. But I can't put, I, I can't be that position for you. And while I think sometimes that turns people off in the beginning, they tell me time and time again, and I see it in the reviews people send me or the letters they send me at the end thanking me that they appreciated that in the end because they realize how much, not only money it saved them, but how much headache it saved them. Right. Just, you have to keep them on track that the fact that he took the blender when he said he wasn't going to take the blender, that's not what's important. What's important is how much time are you going to be spending with your kids and are you going to be able to retire when you wanted to be able to retire and really seeing the forest through the trees. So I think, I think you can get too emotionally invested in your clients. And f fortunately and f unfortunately, because it's had other areas in my life where it's not a good thing, I'm really able to just kind of cut that off. But to remind people to stay focused. Yeah, just keeping them on track, job. keeping yeah. them on track. Yeah. yeah. So being a divorce attorney and family court attorney, mm -hmm. I mean, these cases are emotionally heavy. Yeah. You see people at their absolute worst because they're going through something that they never thought that they would have yeah. to go through. How do you keep a positive mindset? You know, I know what's going to be on the other side. I've been through it myself. I'm on the other side of it, and it's wonderful. Um, I see clients every day getting on the other side of it. So it, it, it's like knowing the ending to a book. You're reading, or you're, you're watching a scary movie, or you're reading a book that's really suspenseful. If you already know the ending and you know it works out okay, it's it's easier to not get caught up in it. So I feel like I know what the ending's going to be for most of these people, and that's kind of what carries me through. So let's talk a little about your personal life. If yeah. You're good with that. Yeah. Uh, Open book. The you just had a really great accomplishment. I know what it is. Yeah. But, uh, so tell us what you've been doing I, for the last seventeen months, uh, or yes, do you want to start with like the big event and and work from there? Um, yeah. So I've been actually training and just competed in my first bodybuilding competition last weekend. I, I think that's oh. what you're talking about. Correct. Yeah, which was awesome. I'd been working with a personal trainer for a while, and we'd kind of been talking about me doing a bodybuilding show, and I was like, mm, you know, the sparkly bikini and the clear heels—that's not really my style. Yeah. yeah and and, um, you know, I turned 40 this year, and I, I wanted to do something really cool this year, and I didn't know what it was. I, I've, you know, I've always wanted to skydive. Was I going to skydive? Or, um, you know, there was other little things I had in mind, and I decided that was going to be my thing. I wanted to see where I could push my body to, having turned 40 and having had a couple kids. And so I, you know, focused in. It was like a 16-week program. Already, I was already training for a while before, but the, the really intensive part of it was about 16 weeks, and then... Um, did my first show. It was a New York State uh, pro amateur show. So there was professionals and amateurs competing last weekend and got second place. Wow, so I was thrilled with that. Congrats. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it was awesome. I, I was like, maybe I won't even get a place, at all, a medal at all, but just to do it and then to right. get do it and get second place. Um, but like I told you earlier, I, I have a hard time doing things and not trying to do my very well, the best. dedication for bodybuilding. Yeah. I mean, you have you have to be yeah. dedicated. Yeah. yeah. And I mean, I said it was a one-time thing and I'll never do it again, but I also know my personality and it's really bothering me that I didn't get first place. So oh. you, yeah, you might see a comeback. Trying. We'll see. Yeah. yeah. That was what I was uh, interested in. Yeah. And, uh, we follow you on social media. You have some yeah. really cool stuff and a lot of it's about your kids. I know, yeah. uh, I know especially your older son better, but. Um, yeah, you know him. He's a, he's a comedian. 
He's yeah. been entertaining people since he was born. Yeah, so. he's still, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he, he was making fun of me when he was two. Bad throw, Bob. Yeah, he, uh, he, he, he called him Bad Throw Bob. That was yeah. what his name oh was. Yeah, because he, yeah. he didn't like how I played beer pong. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he was critiquing by throwing. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, that kind of stuff, the, the social media, the silly stuff I do on TikTok, the bodybuilding competition, in this line of work, you have to have that stuff. You have to have an outlet. Right. Um, and I don't get to be creative in my job. I mean, we come up with creative settlements, but the law is the law. It's black letter, right? So I don't get an opportunity to be artistic or creative. So that kind of stuff, the bodybuilding, the, the doing TikToks, the silly stuff like that, that's that outlet for me. Yeah. That Helps. makes what I do from eight to five manageable. Yeah. Right. So where can people find you on social media? So my, I really don't do too much on uh, Instagram or Facebook anymore. My Instagram handle, my TikTok are legally Bones. Uh, Bones was my nickname in high school. I was about 90 pounds oh. when I graduated <laughs> high school. I was the tiniest child, and a lot of people call me Bones. Oh. And then legally, obviously, legally blonde. Yeah. And so it yeah. kind of merged together. I love it. Yeah. That's a good name. Yeah. So. You have in uh, TikTok? Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So. I, I love TikTok too. I yeah. think it's I, I think it is the great creativity for yeah. everyone kind of right now. If you want to be creative, you can in in thirty seconds or yeah. thirty minutes, whatever it is, put something out there that's that's creative. And I know you're you're good at it, and a lot of people yeah. are really liking what you're putting out. And it's not really not about law no. altogether. It's no, uh, I try to you know make sure I'm respectful of my client situations, and there's all sorts of jokes that can be made but it's not a funny situation for a lot of people so it's more about my kids and you know work in general but yeah yeah just a creative fun light outlet like i said that outlet really is what keeps me sane during the day yeah what What else we got do you want you want what what do you okay so you know about chrisley knows best todd and julie chrisley how they've just gotten sentenced like 12 and seven years yeah i mean i'm a reality tv junkie that's probably the one show i didn't watch but i know about it do you think they're gonna get divorced if they're not already i feel like yeah not divorced i mean maybe (laughs) because they're both stuck in prison they're just got you know free time on their hands but i i think and that's funny because a lot of people ask me, what's the number one reason people get divorced? Is it they have affairs? It's not. It's, it's financial stress. That wow. kind of goes back to maybe my, my hypothesis with one, one spouse not working. Maybe yeah. it's the financial pressure. But really, people um, money stresses people out and not being able to do things they want or pay certain bills or one person feeling like they're pulling more of the weight. And I think that's why we saw divorce rates basically triple after COVID because oh, wow. um, a lot of people were laid off or, or, or not working or having financial problems. Yeah. And, um, you know, we're still seeing that. They haven't slowed down. Well, money can change people. Yes. So. Yes. What, so Chrisley's both parents go to, I think they have a kid who's under 18. What, yeah, what 16. happens? I, yeah, what happens I to the 16 year old? I was thinking like with the, with, with Teresa on Real yes. Housewives, they yes. let them do their sentences Back to back, so they won't weren't both in prison at the same time. And I didn't right. from the article I read, it didn't look like they were doing that no. for the Chrisleys. They're both so maybe they have a guardian appointed maybe. or yeah, yeah. I feel yeah. I don't know if I would want to wait twelve years knowing that I'm going to have to be yeah. in prison for seven. Yeah, I, I think I'd want to just worse or better. That's probably too long. I don't, I don't think the judge is going to let yeah, you. Yeah, I think yeah. Teresa did. It was maybe yeah, a year at a the year. most. So yeah, it so was she could go first. Yes. So yes. a little less than waiting seven years. I mean, you, you're the criminal expert, but they, I don't know. Would you be a flight risk? You're like, come back in 12 years or come back right. in seven years, yeah. you know? Yeah. That's true. I, I, don't, I, don't th- I don't think that's realistic in yeah. a situation like that. Yeah. yeah. Celebrity divorces. 
Yeah, yeah I was. Yeah, yeah. I always wonder what are those attorneys getting paid? Oh yeah. my goodness! That and the amount of work, just like mm-hmm. the financials. Yeah, I mean, anyone on. in a, who's a celebrity should have a prenup. So there should really be not much work to do. Well, right? Unless they got married before they were a celebrity, right? Right. Ooh, yeah. Right. Or, you know, one thing you can't put in a prenup is a predetermination as to child custody or child support. That has to be determined at the time. So, you know, like we saw Brad, Brad and Angelina, there was a lot of to do about the kids. And um, so that's probably what it's mostly about when you see those types of things. Yeah. Interesting. So the there's lawyers that we, I, I know the lawyers that I looked up to when I was yeah. starting out. How about some of the lawyers, I think, in your field that you have, I mean, you want to name drop anybody? Or yeah, say yeah, there's you, a uh, few. Um, so so in this building, there's Joan O'Byrne. She's kind of a legend. When I started practicing matrimonial law, I would hear about Joan. And then I, I knew the first day I saw her, I go, that's got to be her. Because yeah. I heard she, she looked, dresses like she's from New York City and she's just a little spitfire and she is. And I, I remember when I first started learning uh, business law divorce, I, I said, can I come over and I'll bring lunch and can we just sit in your conference room and you just like give me a whole like lesson. And, yeah. and I did that with her and she said, come on over and she taught me everything she knew about it. One day we just sat in her conference room and um, so there was a lot of attorneys like that and I wasn't afraid when I first started practicing to call people and say, have you done this type of motion before? Have you done this type of hearing before? Like even now I'll reach out to colleagues that I trust, like I'm in this unique situation. Have you been there before? Um, we talk about that all the time. A good yeah. attorney is not afraid this. to ask oh, for no. help yeah, or yeah. ask for some feedback. Yeah. yeah, Judge Carly was someone I always looked up to. She was a, a powerhouse at the DA's office. I would hear about her famous closing statements on cases. And then, you know, I watched her become a divorce attorney from that and then um, ultimately run for and, and win a judge situation. Um, referee Snodgrass in Ontario County, she is the biggest workhorse I've ever seen when you have a divorce with her, you know how it's going to go. She's on top of things. She gets things done. And, you know, there's a lot of women in our field who are raising families and working, uh, men too. And it's um, those are really some of the people that I looked up to. Yeah, I love that comment about Joan so much mm-hmm. and, and She's so much historic. credit. Yeah, but mm-hmm. just whether it's law or anything else, mm-hmm. pick up the phone and ask somebody for help. And yeah. we, over and over we talk to people and they all – say these things. Mm-hmm. Um, I asked for help. And then lo and behold, you got the help from yeah. from one of the most, you know, famous lawyers yeah. in our community. Anyway, yeah. all you did was ask and, yeah. and you got she it. Lo- she's like, bring me a chicken salad sandwich. Let's run it down. Yeah. 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 So and lawyers love to most lawyers love to hear themselves talk, love to feel like they know what they're talking about. So if you go to a lawyer and you're like, can you tell me everything you know, chances are they're going to be flattered and want right. to you know, sit down and talk to you. So, yeah, and I think the specific nature of your question too is about this. If you say, "Hey, what's it take to be a great lawyer?" Well, okay, yeah. whatever. That's all the stuff. I have one specific question. Right. What, what's the this issue? Can you help me deal with this yeah. issue? Sure, I can answer that. And yeah. So I did that. The guy I used to always call was James Nobles, and I was going to ask you that. Yeah, I called them <laughs> from day one. Yeah. I remember asking him for my first retainer agreement. And yeah. he's like, hold on, I'm going to email you this. Here's an yeah. intake form, too. Yeah. And I called him and called him. And, and I would always thank him and, and that kind of mm-hmm. stuff. And he's like, you know, you're the only person who's ever asked me. He was yeah. he was the guy who was winning murder trials when yeah. I started out. And he's like, nope, I would have helped anybody. Right. But no one ever asked. You're the only person right. who asked. Well, it know? is a competitive field. And you never know when you're going to be up against that person next. So do you want to show your cards and, and maybe tell them you don't exactly know everything? But in this community, I have found great mentors, great colleagues, people willing to send me a motion they've already done on a case. Um, so I, I, 
when you asked me before advice I'd give for someone in law, in law school, advice I'd give for someone fresh out of law school is find those mentors in your community. Ask them for their templates. Ask them if you can come watch a hearing. I've never had anybody, and I do it all the time, I've never had anybody not wanted to give that help. It's a little different. So we're going against the government or sure. we're going against sure, defense sure. attorneys. Yep. In your field, you are can be the defense. You You're can be right. the plaintiff. Yeah, and it's, that's a good point. They can be your competition, but we're competing for clients too. True. And, and we have a good, I think, rapport with a lot of the different firms who yeah. we're competing for clients with, and it right. doesn't necessarily matter. Right. That's a good point, yeah. What else we need to know? What else we need to know about you? Um, you're in Victor. Your office is in Victor. Yeah, right on Main Street in Victor. So I, I picked that location. It's 15 minutes to the courthouse in Canandaigua. 15 minutes to the courthouse in Monroe County. I practice in both counties, so I try to make it easy for everybody by being right in the middle. Ontario and Monroe. Yeah. Do you do any other? Like, I mean, uh, yeah, occasionally. I was in Livingston County this morning. I can't remember the last time I was in Livingston County. Okay. Um, virtual court through COVID has made it easier to be in any county. Yeah. Um, and you can represent people all over the state. And do multiple cases. Yeah. 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 So nice. it's just to recap, Allie Bates. Yeah. Um, Bates Family Law is the name yep. of the firm. Yep. Website is BatesFamilyLaw.com. Social media, Legally Bones. Yeah. We'll uh, look forward to seeing it. Thank you for having me. Thank you.